We've got a tremendous message by Pastor Doug Williams coming up right now. Uh, Doug Williams uh, was the pastor uh, of Ben Lindsay, who wrote the book, um, Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race. And uh, Doug was his pastor and has mentored Ben for many years. Uh, Doug leads a tremendous church in Walthamstow in London, the Emmanuel International Church, and is one of the leading speakers in the Assemblies of God movement. And we're delighted to make a new friendship with Doug. And so, even though he's speaking from his living room, we know that his heart is joined with our hearts. So, we just want to say to you, get ready for the Word, because he's joining in with our Theo series, and today he's going to talk about the God of compassion. Are you ready to hear God's Word? Let's just pray just briefly. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll bless this Word, and it will be sent direct to our hearts in Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's hear Pastor Doug right now. Hey, good morning, church. This is Pastor Doug Williams here from London. Great to be with you today. What a fantastic thing technology is, that even though we are distanced from one another, sometimes through social distancing, we can still connect via the technology. And so I'm able to come to your church this morning, uh, spend time with you via this wonderful medium. I'm so thrilled that we're in this whole subject of looking at God himself, having a fresh look at who is this God the Christians say they believe in. And I've been tasked with the responsibility of talking about an aspect of him that I think is phenomenal. In fact, it really describes his whole person and being, because I'm talking about God's love, God's compassion, especially as it's evidenced through his acts of generosity and kindness, his compassion through mercy. I want to talk about that today. And to help us, I'm going to ask you if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to look at a particular story that the Lord Jesus Christ told to help illustrate this as clearly as I can. We don't have a lot of time together today, but I think you're going to find this really helpful. So here we are in Matthew 20 verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. At noon and again around three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that evening, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because nobody hired us. The owner of the state told them, then go and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired earlier came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested. Those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them as much as you've paid us, who've worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, haven't, I haven't been unfair. Did you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my own money? Should you be angry because I'm kind? And so it is that many who are first now will be last then, and those who are last now will be first then. 
As Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. When we get to Jerusalem, he said, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, whipped, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Father, I pray this morning that your word would uh, come alive to us and richly inform us as to your design, your purpose for kindness and compassion. We desperately need to hear this word in our day for it to characterize our understanding of you and how good you are. But in addition to that, to shape and transform the way that we do life towards others. Would you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think the introduction of this story, friends, goes back to perhaps the previous chapter, chapter 19, verse 27. Because Jesus had had an encounter with a rich young ruler who was so challenged by the call to discipleship because it will impinge on his commitment to material financial benefit. And, and I don't think he's quite ready yet to give up on that level of security and follow Jesus. And so he, he walks away and Jesus explains, well, it is tough for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who've got a big investment in financial material things find it very, very difficult to walk the walk of faith. And so the disciples turn to him, Peter particularly, and says, well, you know, we've given up businesses. We've given up a lot. What are we to expect then? What's, what's in it for us then? If you make that level of sacrifice, this big sacrifice that you're requiring of us, this big commitment that you want from us, what do we get in return? And so in many ways, the conversations that follow throughout the rest of that chapter and into chapter 20 are Jesus responding to that question. What, what happens to us? What do we get when we follow you? What's in it for us? You see, Jesus told many stories. And most of them, we call them parables. And they're really an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, or some kind of kingdom uh, application. And what really happened in the meetings of Jesus was those who were listening to him, who got curious about what he said, would often linger behind and say, look, that story you told about A, B, or C, what was it really all about? We've got a feeling that there's more to it than just that. And so those who showed an interest and were eager were given full stories. They were given the, the earthly story. They were then given the heavenly meaning behind that story. Well, this story is told and needs unpacking too. The picture that Jesus paints is a typical working day um, that could run from 6 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. at night. And so, you know, you're just observing people available for hire in the marketplace. That's the normal place where people will be waiting to get their jobs. Now, in those days, servants that were attached to a household would probably benefit in tough times, that they are part of that household. They wouldn't have the challenge of having to find their income the way that others would. But if you were an independent workman who was out of work, you could be waiting for hours to be hired because it was no job, no food. It was desperation that kept you waiting in that line. So if that landowner could find people there six o'clock in the morning nine o'clock in the morning midday three o'clock people waiting up until 5 p.m that's one hour before close of business it's desperation that kept them in that line waiting for an opportunity to get a job so he paints that picture and everybody knows that they know the angst and the desperation of that moment so they're drawn in to that moment you see in the harvest um, seasons 
securing labor at whatever hour could save the landowner a lost crop. He's invested a lot in that season. He didn't want his crop to not be taken in, therefore lose the profit margin and lose all the benefit that he'd invested into that season. So he would keep going back to hire people. And that's why he kept returning to the place of labor exchange. A day's wage was obviously a denarius. That's what it says in the original text. And that was the accepted amount that people would accept for a whole day's work. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Well, the landowner went out there early in the morning. He went back and found people at 9 o'clock. He went back at noon. He went back at 3. He went back at 5. And at this point in time, while Jesus is telling the story, it's going along swimmingly well. Everybody knows we know that scenario. We've seen that story. That's a very common thing for us to view. And normally, when Jesus tells a story and it's got a heavenly meaning, there's some twist in the story, some anomaly that makes you go, hmm, didn't see that coming. Uh, and then you begin to find this is where the heavenly side of the story or the application of the story kicks in. Well, the twist in the story arrives when the workers have to be paid. Uh, this was, I think it's thrown so, so many Bible commentators off track here because I've heard a lot of people talk about this. That it's about the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, the text opens with this is about the kingdom. And they presume that kingdom stuff is just about the end of the age. It's eschatological. It's towards the last days and the last things. But when you study kingdom teaching from Jesus, what you'll discover is this about kingdom. Some aspects of kingdom teaching and reality can appear in our lives right now. But there are other aspects of kingdom teaching which are not yet. So we live with this tension on kingdom teaching of the already and the not yet. And you have to look at Jesus' teaching carefully to be sure what context is being referred to. If you make a sort of eschatological, last days, end of age application to this story, it ends up with a very strange profile. For example, uh, when we get to heaven and rewards are given out, I don't think there's going to be a wage dispute over how long people worked or how hard the conditions were that they worked through. Because in this story, that's what happens. Um, I don't think heaven's going to be a wage dispute at all. Do you? <laughs> I don't think so. So I don't believe this story should be applied as a yet-to-come story. This is about kingdom issues here and now. This is what you get here and now, which is very important for the question that Peter asked. What do we get? He's thinking long-term. What do we get at the end of the day? What do we get for our investment in discipleship? And Jesus is telling a story that says it's not just about what you get at the end. It's what you're getting right now. It's what you're living in, in the moment. And we'll make that clear to you. Now, the workers in this story are clearly complaining um, based on a couple of things. In this story, they're complaining that they've worked longer than those who, who uh, came in for one hour before the end of business. So the length of labor and also the conditions of labor were worse. They said, we worked through the heat of the day. We worked through the scorching sun at noon. So our conditions of labor and our length of time for labor have been longer than other people. We thought there would be some wage differential um, that reflected those things. But as we look in our wage packets, everybody gets paid the same. How could that be right? And I'm sure the people who were listening to Jesus thought, yeah, that's true, actually. How could that be right? And it would have appeared as if something of a disparity was going on. The landowner hadn't acted appropriately. There's something sketchy about the way these people were getting paid. Well, I think that's where that tension of the already and the not yet kicks in when it comes to kingdom application. Because this story is clearly about kingdom now. And in, in making that application, it looked like the landowner had been unfair, but that wasn't true. I'll tell you why it wasn't true. On reflection, I saw that he had honored 
the contractual arrangements that he had made uh, and agreed with those at the beginning of the day. In fact, those who got paid at nine o'clock should be grateful that they even got paid a day's wage because the day starts at 6 a.m. So they're already three hours late for work, but still get a full day's pay. Well, I think they forgot about that. He had arranged with them a deal. If you work all these hours to the end of the day, I'll pay you. Deal or no deal? They said deal. They shook on it. They signed a contract. And when they got paid the money he had promised, he hadn't failed them. He had been absolutely just, not unfair in how he had handled it. But listen, he had every right to treat the latecomers the way he chose. If he chose to give those latecomers extra money and be generous, well, that's his sovereign choice. He hadn't done anything wrong by giving away his own money. So that was important. So for the first workers, the early workers, he had shown justice and fairness. For the late workers, he had shown mercy. See, justice gives you what you deserve. Mercy gives you not what you deserve, but what you desperately need. And so he was able to, in the same act, be both just and merciful at the same time. So if the disciples like Peter asked, what do we get? What do we get for following you? Jesus would say, well, you get right now access to all of the incredible justice and amazing generosity of kindness and mercy that God gives anybody who really needs it. Peter, that's what you get for following me. That's what your investment and sacrifice are bringing to you. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to speak in verse 17 to 19 about his, his death and resurrection. Because it's in that one act that the justice and the mercy of God are clearly seen. You know, God's ability to forgive me and be merciful to me isn't based on some sentimental attitude in God's mind, as if somehow he ignores the wrongdoing, the sinfulness, the desperately wicked nature of the human heart that is opposed to him. No, Jesus took the punishment for sin. Sin had to be paid for. And Jesus took a payment on his shoulders that would have been crushing if it were left on mine. But in the same act, he's then able to say, Father, forgive those who have sinned and offer the mercy that we so desperately need. I think in just a brief message this morning, I could tell you something about the incredible love of God and the wonderful justice of God that go both together. But compassion is one of the most amazing, breathtaking things that you can ever encounter when it comes to how lovely and generous and compassionate and big-hearted God is. We don't always get it. And I think sometimes we'll get offended uh, if God shows compassion. For example, I'm, as you can see, a black guy. And I watched on TV the, over the last few months some of the most horrendous pieces of footage I've ever seen. I saw a police officer by the name of Dirk Chauvin in Minneapolis kneel on a man's neck, the man's name was George Floyd, for 8 minutes 46 seconds and take his life away. Is there justice for that? Ju justice has to be done. Um, that gentleman, that ex-police officer, has to face the full extent of the law for inappropriate behaviour. It can never bring back George Floyd to life. On the other hand, I had to think about this because I want to approach this not just from a political point of view, somebody saying black lives matter, and of course they do. That black lives aren't the only lives that matter, and certainly I'm not saying black lives are better than any other color life. 
I'm saying that if you don't look after black justice or justice for any particular group, then it threatens justice for all. We have to be focused here. And that's why I, I have sentiment with the slogan, even if I don't support everything that the movement stands for. I want to make that distinction too. But the issue here is I'm looking at the story and I'm going, there has to be justice in that story. But I'm looking at it from a kingdom point of view. I want to be a Christian when I look at these political issues in our day. I go, what, how does the love of God get applied here? Is it possible? And here's the challenge, especially for some of my friends who are black. Is it possible that the mercy of God could, could be released in this situation? What if I asked you this question? Can that police officer be forgiven? If you struggle to answer that affirmatively, it means you're not as much a Christian as you think you are. Because the saviour we claim to worship and serve is the saviour that can look at a thief on the side of his cross, one on either side. But one of them said, I deserve to be here. I know what I've done wrong. But sir, if you can remember me when you come to your kingdom, I'd like to be included. And Jesus said, there's inclusion for somebody who's willing to repent of their wrongdoing and recognize their sinfulness. Friends, even a police officer who murders somebody in broad daylight, if they're repentant, the mercy of God can forgive them. Do you believe that? See, that's the challenge that Christians need to ask themselves. Our grace, our message of grace is so amazing, so overwhelming. that even in a situation like this, we have the prophetic responsibility of saying, look, justice has to be dealt with. We're not going to... Uh, um, sugarcoat any issues of wrongdoing and inappropriate behavior. But the, our God says there were human beings who've messed up their lives. I mean, in eight minutes, 46 seconds, Derek Chauvin lost his liberty, his reputation, his job, his wife, his family. George Floyd lost his life. That can never be replaced. But some of the things that Chauvin lost, they'll never be replaced too. He's still alive. He's still got an opportunity to repent and get right with God. Do you Christians believe that's possible? i tell you why I asked you that question. Several years ago, I went to preach in a high security prison in Estonia. I mean, I, I was in a room with eight to ten guys with four guards, guards uh, two flanked on either side of the room with rifles at the ready. Because these guys are triple homicide, uh, you know, serial rapists horrible, heinous crimes. In fact, the shock for me going into that room with these men was just to see how incredibly ordinary they looked being responsible for such crimes. I preached the gospel. I shared my story. I told them about a God who loves, who had compassion and kindness, who would forgive people who were sinners if they were willing to repent. And as I came to the conclusion of my message, the biggest guy in the room stood up and I heard the guards set their guns. I went, whoa, 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 what's Everybody just calm down here. So what is it you want to say to me? I stepped forward to him. He said, preacher, and I could see his eyes misting up. He said, please tell me this. I need to know one thing. I've listened to you so carefully today. But I need to know, is everything you are saying true? Is it true that this God you preach can forgive somebody like me? Is there room in his compassion for somebody who's done what I have done. What could I say? I stepped forward. I embraced that man and said yes. He rested his head on my shoulder and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I looked over his shoulder 
at the other men in the room and there wasn't a dry eye in that place. They bowed their heads. They were wiping their eyes. They were crying. Even one of the guards pulling out handkerchief from his pocket, sniffing while he's trying to hold his rifle. Because they suddenly felt the impact of the love and compassion of God. Listen, they knew they were in those prison cells because they deserved to be there. There was a justice about holding them accountable for their lifestyle. But in the midst of that, they heard a message that said, justice gives you what you deserve. But mercy is holding out something that you don't deserve, but desperately need. The forgiveness of God and the reconciliation to God. That's what true discipleship gives anybody. The only real unpardonable sin is the one you're not willing to repent of. So I picked up the story of Jesus and saw that sometimes when we preach compassion and grace, it angers some people. They don't get it. It's almost like, God, how can you let them suffer? It's not fair. But Jesus says, I know human brokenness. I know human frailty. I know how terrible people have behaved. But this is the gospel. If you're repentant, then mercy is offered to you because that's just how good God is. So I'm listening to you today thinking, whoa, maybe I didn't see this story in quite that light. Maybe you're thinking it's just, it just sounds too good to be true, but that's how the gospel should be presented, friends. If there's repentance and a brokenness of heart and mind and a contrite spirit over human wrongdoing, God's compassion is willing to offer the mercy that leads to reconciliation, recovery and rescue every time. And I still believe in that. That's why I preach the gospel. When people say, God, here is my life and human experience with all its brokenness and confusions, with its desperately wicked biases, discriminations, racist attitudes, murderous intent, it's all here. My brokenness is here. My life in all these pieces is here. But I'm giving it to you. And if you can fix it, it's all yours. It's all yours from this day forward. That is the only response to the mercy of God. And when people commit to be his servants and his disciples in that regard, Jesus, like he said to Peter, would say to you, then the compassion, the justice, the mercy, the generosity and kindness of God is made available to you, not just at the end of the age, but right now. So I pray that today you find the mercy of God and live in the wonder of it. May God richly bless you. Right wherever you are, right now, just hold your hands in front of you. And just breathe in some of that tremendous compassion, mercy of God. I've listened to Pastor Doug's message several times. And I feel like I've been mentored. I feel like I've been taught by a senior leader on some of the deep things of God. And just as I sat here listening to it again, I just feel like there's somebody out there and that 
you've been really hurt and that forgiveness has been a real issue to you. But here's what I feel like the Lord wants to say to you. Don't worry about how you're going to go forward and, and relate to that person. Just take that hurt right now to the cross. And God will show you the other side of the cross. The other side of that surrender moment, what you must do. So hey, for those of you who've been hurt, just right now, bring that offense to the cross. I still believe in a God who can forgive anything. Do you? I still believe in a God who challenges me in all my prejudices to say, Mark, I love people. Do you believe in that God? And so in the name of Jesus now, Lord, we bring those things to the cross. And we just leave it with you. And we pray in the name of Jesus now that you will bring your healing and love. This is one other thing that I felt as I was listening to Pastor Doug's message, even today. That you might feel that you've done some things that you can't be forgiven of. I want to take you to a cross. I want to take you to Theos, to God, who says, I have compassion on you. And that you've carried that for a long time. And in the name of Jesus now, open up your heart and receive His forgiveness. You may not deserve it, but He is willing to give it. So right where you are, wherever you're listening from, would you just open up your hand and open up your heart and say, God, I receive your forgiveness. We're going to just put a little email on the screen, admin at bcc.life. If you would like any help, if you have prayed the prayer that I'm about to pray in a few moments, I want you to get on your computer and email in straight away. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, I am sorry, but I know you are a God of compassion. Forgive me. I want to follow you. And whatever you have done, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the God of compassion wants to bless you today. So in Jesus' name, Lord, we give you this time and ask you to fill our hearts. Wherever you are, perhaps you want to stand if you can. If you can't, that's fine. But if you can stand at home, why don't we all sing together and just worship the Lord. Thank you, Father. We honor you today.